Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Cutting Room Floor Podcast. It's great to be here with you. My name is Clay, and I'm here with Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, and it's glad to, I'm glad to be here. Good, good. Me too. Uh, and I'm I'm uh, really pleased to get to talk about the exciting sequel to last week's sermon. Ooh, the exciting <laughs> since, sequel. Since it was uh, um, spread out over two weeks. Uh, thanks so much, by the way, for listening to the Spirit in that and being willing to um, not sacrifice on what he had shown you. You know, I mean, we were super thankful for that, uh, in you as a leader and as a, as a preacher. So, yeah, thank you. um, let's, let's dive into the, those last, so, so, well, I'll, I'll give a little bit of context first, uh, in case you missed Sunday, uh, we encourage you go back and listen to the sermon. It's available all over the place on our website, on YouTube, uh, in podcast form, actually little known secret mm. there. This is not the first open door podcast. Technically the sermon, the sermon podcast was first, but, um, listen to that sermon because we want to continue that conversation here. This is not right. uh, separate from that. We're, we're totally um, diving deeper into uh, our study in Luke. So we're in Luke um, and we're, we're looking at the details that the, the gospel writer includes about the parents of Jesus. And, and we're, uh, we're coming to see how they're reflecting a faithful parenting style uh, that is keying us into ways that God laid out in the Old Testament to to parents and, and ways that he was, as it were, parenting Israel, this this yeah. you know, newborn nation that he brought into the wilderness, which I, we're about to read about in, in our daily devotions. You've been so, listening. Way to go. I, well, and you know. <laughs> I had, I do. Yes, I do listen to the sermons on occasion, you know, but, um, no, yeah, it's, it, it's great to, to be on this journey. And so last week we heard, uh, sort of in this seven point plan that we're observing, uh, that, that God uses to lead Israel. We, we talked about points one, two, and three, and then ended with point seven, which was about blessing. And now we're coming back to hit uh, yeah. the remaining points, four, five, and six. So the first of those remaining points was about prayer. And so I, I wonder, Jim, I, I know you talked about this a little bit in your sermon, but you didn't have too much time to get into the details. So mm -hmm. can you talk to us about how how the Bible presents prayer? Because obviously we we talk about prayer a lot. We know prayer is a is a great thing that we should do. We know prayer is communicating with God. But people might not know about some of the patterns or some of the habits uh, of prayer that are built into the text, yeah. just that God's people have observed throughout the years. So, uh, yeah, why don't we start there? Yeah. Well, we, we talked a little bit on, in the sermon about the, the formal prayers, customary prayers, you right. might say, um, and then the spontaneous prayers. And, you know, I know that some people are more um, inclined towards one or the others. Uh, you know, in our church tradition here at Church of the Open Door, there has not been a whole lot of uh, customary prayers. And when I say customary, I don't mean necessarily that it's the custom to pray. I mean that the prayer itself is like a written prayer right. like from the Book of Common Prayer um, or from some other prayer book. And and, um, and sometimes I think that's to our loss because there's a huge and deep tradition 
uh, starting back in Judaism with written out prayers that you read that prayer, you pray that prayer, and it's the same prayer that you go back to again and again. And I think a, a lot of people in in our tradition would consider that to be empty, rote, mm. repetitive. You know, it's, it's it can't be authentic because it's not from my heart. And I think that's more of a reflection of our style and our preference. Mm. And whereas some people I know who were raised in maybe more of a liturgical church, uh, or they were just turned on to a prayer book early in their walk with God. Yeah. And, it, and it has deeply ministered. You know, some of these people it yeah. has deeply ministered and formed them. And sometimes I feel like our love for spontaneous prayer, which I do love and which I see Jesus doing and I see David doing and I see we saw Simeon this past in our text doing. Yep. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But sometimes in our spontaneity, we we can miss some of the depth and the richness of a thinking out and, mm. and writing this prayer out or praying the prayer that somebody else has thought through carefully and word crafted and that that maybe really focuses in on a character of God or an attribute of God and or something that God has done. Mm. And so I really do think we need both. And so yeah. maybe I could give an encouragement to people who all their life have prayed spontaneous prayers maybe explore a, a, a book of common prayer or another book of prayers. Um, you know, the, the Jews had a book of prayer in addition to the Psalms. Uh, they, they they actually considered this, we talk about the Psalms being a book of prayer, but it was more of a, of a psalter. It was something they sang. Yeah. Uh, for sure, it was a prayer book, but it was also a, a, a hymn book. And um, so in addition to that, they had a book of prayers that they, and you can get online and see this and read these. And as we said in the sermon, we, we it looks like Jesus was, you know, practicing, practicing like, like a good Jew. And um, that does lead us back to some things that I left out, <laughs> that, that, that were left on the cutting room floor. Right, right. And, um, and that is... Um, Something that we don't see like commanded in scripture, for instance, mm. uh, the praying three times a day. Um, I, there's no command in the scripture, especially in the, in the Torah, that says, you know, thou shalt pray three times a day. But what we do see is the practice of it. Yeah. For instance, um, if you turn to um, Psalm 55, 16 and 17. Uh, the psalmist says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. That's verse 16. And then verse 17, he says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Now, if you didn't know other places in the, in the Scripture that talked about evening, morning, and noon, you might think of that just as a poetic way of saying, you know, Throughout the day, I pray for you. And and it certainly is that. Right. But once we start seeing, like in the life of Daniel, in the life of Daniel, mm-hmm. you'll see, you know, if you, if you remember the story, uh, there was a, a decree sent out uh, that you should not pray to anyone but, uh, is it King Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe so. And so there was these guys who didn't like Daniel. So this they were trying to get rid of Daniel. And so they noticed that Daniel prayed three times a day. Yes. Why did Daniel pray three times a day? Because that was a Jewish pattern. Mm-hmm. And he was just echoing that. And in fact, it says twice uh, in uh, it's Daniel 6 or 7, I guess I can't remember where, 
where the, these guys observed him praying three times a day. Mm-hmm. And then the decree went out. You shouldn't pray to anyone else but Nebuchadnezzar. And these guys spied on Daniel. And it says, and he you know, turned towards Jerusalem and prayed. And it says three times a day, just as he always did, which, again, is such a beautiful picture of um, it's Daniel 6.10. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Yeah. So there's a, there's a pattern there. There's a rhythm he's, 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 he's uh, illustrating. I'm trying to remember I, the most recent interaction I've had with the story of Daniel is Veggie Tales. And they, <laughs> I remember them singing to King Darius. So maybe Darius. Yeah, like, but yeah, yeah there, there, there could be multiple kings there. Uh, but yes, suffice it to say, yeah, no, that's absolutely and, and the Babylonian I think, king. Yeah, yeah, I, I love how you brought up kind of our background and our personality. I know you've used the language of your worship personality before mm-hmm. right. to talk about right. these terms. Right. Um, and oftentimes in my devotional life, and I've heard you talk about this before too, things can, things can get, um, stale, right? It can, um, or that includes your prayer life. And Mm so I've really enjoyed experimenting. I mean, I, one of the biggest things I loved about your sermon on Sunday was, and you didn't use this language, but you brought in wonder and play into the Christian life. Mm. And we'll talk about that later with festivals, but mm-hmm. it's okay to experiment. Party. I, yeah. <laughs> Obviously within the yeah. bound, you know, within the guidelines of scripture, but experimenting with reading prayers is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, experimenting with trying a rhythm of prayer, like morning, noon, and evening. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. <laughs> well, think about it. If you can even see this in the New Testament. So sometimes people, I hear people say, you know, well, now that we're following Jesus. We don't, we don't have to follow Old Testament patterns, you know. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Acts, uh, it'll, you'll see several instances. Like uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going out to the temple at the time of prayer. Why are Peter and John going up to the temple at the time of prayer? To pray, right? They're still good Jews. They haven't, uh, you know, abandoned their Jewish customs, uh, at least not all of them. But they're practicing prayer. And um, you know, Peter in Acts chapter ten, um, it, it doesn't say he was going up to the time of prayer, but he says, "I went up to my roof at noon to pray." <laughs> See, these are little things that you can skip right over. Yeah. But if you know that there's the Jewish custom of praying morning, noon, and n- evening, then you when you then you see Peter going up to noon to pray, you're like, oh, he's following the Jewish pattern of prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that's very instructive to see the the followers of Jesus after the resurrection, after the ascension, you know, after everything. They're living their Christian life, but they're still doing it, following some of these patterns of prayer. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it's it's so it's that's good that we see it in in those scriptures. Therefore, we we can't say, well, that, that's not no longer necessary. So, I think I can imagine someone thinking to themselves, "Hey, Jim, you know, I really enjoy praying as I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't I don't really know how I would approach mm-hmm. a dedicated prayer time. Mm-hmm. Can you bring us into like sure. when you have a set time of prayer? Yeah. What what's helpful to you? Yeah, I, I wrote about this in my in my book. I gave several patterns, and of course, the first place to start is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And so um, that prayer has been prayed, you know, billions, easily, billions of times since Jesus gave it. 
um, what people may not know is that that prayer is not something that Jesus invented out of thin air. You can find echoes, or actually Jesus' prayer is an echo. You can find antecedents, let's say it that way. Yeah. You can find antecedents in uh, rabbinic prayers uh, of be- before Jesus was around so that he kind of you know borrowed, you might say. And so some people think you know the Lord's Prayer is something Jesus invented. No, he, he borrowed from the Jewish prayer world in prayer life. Um, and so that's a prayer that we can pray just as it is. Repeat it word for word. Um, but it's also a prayer we can pray as an outline. Yeah. And so, you know, you you start off with our Father who is who lives in heaven. And before you move to the next line, you just explore that a little bit. You know, Lord, you know, thank you that you are above all. You see everything. You know, yeah. you're in the heavens and you're, you're sovereign king in the, uh, on your throne. And, you know, uh, you know, you are holy and mm. I just worship you as a holy God. I, I think about that. I praise you for your holiness. You know, so you're just elaborating on the words that Jesus gave us. And for crying out loud, you could elaborate a long time because as you think about God is holy, then you start thinking about some of his other attributes and you get caught up in praying, maybe his names. Um, and so, you know, you, so you're using the Lord's prayer as an outline. Yeah. So both and use it, pray it as it is, pray it as an outline. Um, there are, you could pray the prayers of, of Paul. There are some people that think that the prayers that Paul wrote, for instance, in Ephesians one and Ephesians three and Philippians one, um, are, are three examples that come immediately to my mind sure. that they are prayers that the early church prayed word for word. Mm-hmm. They saw that as a, as a, uh, as a prayer that, that could be repeated and should be repeated. Um, but then, um, there's the famous ACTS that, uh, it's an acronym that somebody yeah. came up with years ago. A stands for adoration. I know I bet you know this. What does C stand for? C is confession. And then what is T for? Uh, Thanksgiving. Good. And now S is the harder one. Supplication. Supplication, which yeah. means... Which means like asking for things, right. which is... It, it, the beauty of it is you don't... It's so often when we come to prayer, we come with our needs first, or it's <laughs> right. our needs that are prompting us to prayer, which yeah. is fine. Uh-huh. But the beauty of this model is we start with looking at God. Yes. Which adoring is, Him. And that's one of the beauty... To me, one of the beauties of having these set times of prayer is so, so easily mm. we go throughout our days and just get caught up you know it's like i mean it's just so magnetic it's so uh alluring just the the systems that we live in Mm -hmm. um and uh but having those reminders of hey i'm gonna pause good and i'm gonna take a breath and i'm gonna look at god and i'm gonna remember his presence and isn't this a picture of god-centeredness oh yeah i mean instead of my schedule being the center of my life uh, my to-do list i'm gonna make god the center of my life so it's not just not just morning and maybe not just noon. Um, but, you know, here's another uh, way of praying. Oh, by the way, so the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, again, that can be just a simple, Lord, I praise you, adore for you who are, move right to confession, forgive me of my sin. You know, you can do that quickly, or you can linger, just like mm-hmm. with the Lord's Prayer, and turn that into, uh, a, you know, write out your prayers uh, as you adore God, as you confess your sin, as you thank Him, and as you bring your request to Him. Write them out, you know, say them, write them out, do it as an outline, pray them as they are. You know, in, in my book, I, I remember uh, writing about how I made this discovery 
while I was preaching through the Lord's Prayer, that you could break up the Lord's Prayer into loving God, living surrendered, and loving people. Yep. And I just remember seeing that and going, what? This is so awesome, you know? Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't think that Jesus was thinking in those categories, but to me, they're very, very clear, you know, um, uh, our Father who art in heaven, that's loving God. You know, hallowed be your name. You're holy. I'm, I'm adoring you. I'm worshiping you. That's loving God. And then he moves to give us, our, uh, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's, that's living surrendered. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being a my will be done, it's your will. That's surrender. Yep. And then, then all the, the times that he uses the language of give us this day, there's no me, there's no I, there's no individual. It's all plural. Yeah. Give me, give us, give we, you know, let us. And so all this we and us is, is, is loving people. Forgive those who forgive. Uh, uh, may I forgive those who forgive? How's it go? It's the Lord's Prayer. I should know it. Forgive me for my sins for as I forgive those who sin against me. Right. So um, against us. And so there's that there's that relational aspect. So um, you can, you know, I, I've I, Clay, I've created whole weekends of prayer where I go away and I spend 10 hours just focusing on loving God. And then I spend 10 hours surrendering. And then I spend 10 hours praying for people. Um, or I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a rhythm where I'll spend an, an, you know, a couple hours loving God, loving people, living surrender. Then I'll kind of stop that and do another session. And I do another rhythm of, Lord, I, I start worshiping and praising Him, loving Him. Then I move to praying for people and then surrender. So these are prayer retreats, the things you can do yeah. uh, on a day or a weekend um, that I personally have done that provide richness. Um, and you know, as as you know, I've said this you know many many times that for years I rolled out of bed and landed on my knees, and before anything else, I'm saying, Lord, I, today I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. I want to you know love people uh, like you've called me to. Uh, I want to love my neighbor as myself, and I want to live a not my will but your be done kind of life. Yeah. Or I do a shorter vision version. Lord, today help me to love you and love people and live surrendered. And then mm-hmm. I get up, you know. So, uh, you know, these, this is another pattern that, that out of my own life. And so, because like you said, I can get stuck in a rut. And so, I prayed the Lord's prayer for years. Then I stopped doing that and used Acts. And then I started doing loving God, loving people, the three L's. You know. So, and as I referred earlier, I have used prayer books. The Book of of Common Prayer is a ancient book now. That again, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people have used in a, um, Presbyterian traditions, Episcopal traditions, mm-hmm. um, Methodist traditions, um, and uh, and maybe some you know some newer denominations that have picked up on some of those liturgical themes. I don't yeah. know if, if New City Catechism uses those kind of prayer books. They and, don't, but there's a movement. It's sort of like a the, the I don't know if it's called neo or new monastic mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're uh, dedicated to sort of going back to some of these older patterns and mm-hmm. trying to bring them into cities as they're living amongst people. Yeah. Really beautiful stuff. Yeah. If yeah. you, if you're interested in a challenging read, you mm-hmm. can check out Shane Claiborne. He's one of these guys who's written about taking ministry seriously. And on the side, he's written 
uh, sort of a revised version of the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. Uh, they've got an app as well. Shane Claiborne's one of those guys you have to eat, you have to um, eat the meat and spell out the bones. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember. Um, it, it's a, that's why I said a challenging read yeah. because yeah. Uh, it's it's good to wrestle with. Um, yeah, definitely. But he's he's been a part of the project with the Book of Common Prayer as well. And I've known people who were raised in Baptist churches or Pentecostal churches or Nazarene churches. You know, those were three different traditions, but have a similarity to them mm-hmm. uh, because they're all free. They're they're um, they're spontaneous. You know, I was spent a lot of time in the Nazarene church, and their their prayer meetings and their Wednesday night sing-alongs and their church services are are very camp meeting like lots of joy lots of freedom lots of spontaneity yeah same thing with a lot of baptists obviously the same thing with a lot of charismatics and pentecostals but i've known people from each one of those traditions who got tired of that quote-unquote freedom that spontaneity and and we're looking for something with more you know depth and substance i'm going to be careful how i say that because there's depth and substance in mm-hmm. in Baptist, Nazarene, and Pentecostal charismatic churches, but they were looking for more depth and more yeah. substance, and they began to gravitate towards Roman Catholicism or uh, Episcopalian, yeah, or Greek Orthodox even, uh, or Greek Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you know what they were looking for is some of this this structure mm-hmm. and and substance that you know, which is beautiful. You know, expl- like you said before, experiment, explore. Um, I remember a, a spiritual director of sorts of mine um, who was a very type A individual who uh, said <laughs> in, in a conference one time, I know you're all going to laugh at me, but I have discovered a new rhythm for me. And it's me sitting on the back porch watching the birds and living out Jesus saying, you know, consider the birds you know, of the air. And so I've done that. And I have found myself praising God, acknowledging God, mm. watching the way God provides. And he, he says, I know you're all going to laugh because you all know I'm a type A person, you know, sitting on the back porch, watching the birds. Have you gone crazy? You know, <laughs> you're, you're a real structured guy, you know, write out your prayers, write out your devotions, you know, get going, move on to the next thing. And he's like, that was a rhythm that was life for me. Yeah. So yeah, I say that, I tell that story to encourage people if you find that your prayer life is getting stale, try something new. Mm, yeah. you know? And so may, for many people listening to our podcast, Clay, that might be a book of prayer. Yeah. Uh, so. I know for me recently, I've latched onto this formula uh, from th- that you mentioned in your sermon. Blessed are you, O Lord, our mm-hmm. God, King mm-hmm. of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've tried to pray that as I'm, as I'm waking cool. up in the morning. Very cool. And what I, one of the things I, I, I wanted to mention was a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus that you suggested to me. <laughs> yes. It has I love an, that book. If you're interested in that formula or in Jewish ways of praying yeah. and you want to start somewhere, I highly recommend yes. the chapter on prayer in Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. It's yeah. Fantastic, and I I, I I love that book as well. And if you get if you get excited about that book, then she's got two others that are in the same kind of theme. Um, listening to the teaching of Rabbi Jesus, um, reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. Uh, so uh, Lois Tverberg, T V E R B E R G, T V E R B E R G, and Anne Spangler are the, the authors of those books. Um, yeah, exactly. 
So, um, you know, this is this is um, reminds me of that of the tr- of the message translation of Matthew eleven twenty eight and twenty nine, where Eugene Peterson uses this phrase: um, the rhythms of grace. And the, mm. you know, there's this l- rhythms of prayer, and that is a that word rhythm is a good word for. Uh, you know, some of these disciplines, prayer, prayer disciplines and getting into a rhythm and, you know, and, and that's what some, what some of, and don't be turned off by this from people, but that's what some of the monastic groups do is they get into a rhythm. And, you know, some people, when they heard, hear monks and monasticism, they're like, what? That's just dead old dry stuff. No, not necessarily. If you, <laughs> if you make it that, but there, there has been revivals throughout his church history that came out of monastic movements, yeah. you know, so don't be so quick to judge something you don't may not fully understand. And I'm not talking to you cause I know you sure, have, sure, you, sure. Yeah. In love than that. But yeah. think, think of the, 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 a good Jew will pray the Shema mm-hmm. twice, sometimes three times a day, uh, from Deuteronomy six. Yep. Uh, now, technically some Jews would say that's not a prayer. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You know, thou shalt worship, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, uh, Shema is the word here in Hebrew. And so they're saying it's a declaration. It's not a prayer. Sure, sure. But the Jews treat it as a prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, a, there's an episode of The Chosen where Jesus, uh, I think it's with the children. He has the children say the Shema with him, which is so cool. Yeah. And why do children know the Shema? Well, because they've recited it mm-hmm. all their you know all their life, even though they're ten and eleven, what the ages of those kids in that in that episode? Yeah, you know, Jesus didn't teach it to them. You know, he he led them in it. They knew it because this was the rhythm of the Jewish boys and girls. Yeah, we we read uh, the Jesus Creed in our my oh, first ever ministry book. class, and yeah. it's built around. Um, like it's sort Shema. of an up a Jesus version of the Shema because mm-hmm. it, it adds uh, and love your neighbor as yourself at the end. Yeah. Uh, so put that on your list. It's Scott. Yeah, McKnight. the Jesus Creed. Yeah, Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight. But what I was going to say is in that class, uh, the professor every class meeting made us all stand up and recite mm-hmm. the Jesus Creed, which is the Shema with this like little addition at the end. Well, one of the arguments that Scott makes, uh, Dr. McKnight, makes in that book is that he believes that Jesus taught this new Jesus Creed to his disciples and had them you know, recite Deuteronomy 6. And then uh, let's not forget that the second commandment that Jesus mentioned is like unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a commandment. He didn't add that. That's from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not like Jesus took you know the great commandment of, of the great Shema and then added his own. Both of those commandments are from the Old Testament, right? And uh, so he McKnight makes a good argument, I think, that that in his new movement with the twelve disciples, Jesus had them reciting the new creed. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of cool. So um, that's all very helpful, and and like like we said, uh, experiment, yeah. try this out. Don't put pressure on it. Uh, just see if this is a way that the Lord is inviting you mm-hmm. to spend time with Him. <laughs> and to, to center your life around Excellent. him. But yes. uh, let, let's pick up another piece. So the, the next uh, sort of aspect uh, of the plan under point five uh, on the original plan. So like God's plan to parent Israel, it had mm-hmm. to do with this, the physical centrality of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And then as you sort of equated that to um, 
of, of contemporary parenting plan, you talked about the importance of assembling with the people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the way that you emphasized that on Sunday was fantastic. Uh, and it, for a lot of people, it sort of goes without saying, yeah, hey, man, gathering with the body of believers is valuable. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Hebrews, it's commanded, don't mm-hmm. forsake the gathering together of the saints. But um, obviously, in recent history, that's gotten somewhat complicated with COVID, and you know we've got sure. online options. So do, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. You know, why is it important for us to be reminded of that, and yeah. what are some of the benefits of gathering with the people of God? Yeah, um, I'll start with a quote from John Wesley that is always missing. That's, that's often misunderstood, and he says there is no holiness but social holiness. Hmm. And what he means by that is, you know, the holy life, which we, we describe as Christ-likeness, so spiritual maturity, because Jesus is the most holy one. So there is no holiness that's isolated, that's individual, that's by yourself. You have to be with people. So I would say today relational holiness, um, relational Christ-likeness. In other words, I need people around me for me to be formed and to be like Christ. It's not a solo sport. And uh, I cannot, and you cannot, no one can be like Christ by themselves. So I'll start with that, that um, uh, whenever you see the disciples, it's always they're together. Jesus doesn't, I don't see him practicing one-on-one discipleship, which shocks a lot of people. They're like, what? You know, people who are really into discipleship, a lot of them are really into one-on-one discipleship. But you can't find any place in the Bible where Jesus did one-on-one discipleship. He did one-on-one evangelism, or he did one-on-one, you know, kind of discussion with a person. But, you know, multiple examples of Jesus meeting with a person again and again to do one-on-one discipleship, it's not there. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Uh, by no means, but it's just saying that that Jesus saw that that spiritual growth happened in community. Yeah, and he put the twelve together for the sense of community. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's three or four, or whether it's twelve, or whether it's three hundred, or whether it's three thousand. There's something about being with other people who are being formed that is an integral part of spiritual formation, Absolutely. an integral part of growing to know God and. Once you see that, then you start picking up these themes from Hebrews, forsake not the gathering yourselves together. Why? Because it's a new rule to follow? No, because it's the community. We we need each other. And when Paul describes, you know, the only place in the New Testament where Paul's describing an early church service, 1 Corinthians 14, it's all about the gathering of the Mm -hmm. people and the gathering of the saints. And so you you just see this over and over and over again, this community, this relationality, and of course, you know, going back to the Old Testament, the people or the, the nation of Israel was called the people of God, not the person, not the person. <laughs> here's another thing that that you don't see until you start getting into the Greek New Testament. All these times where where we're familiar with prayers that talk about you do this or you do that or may you be blessed or may you be filled with the Spirit or, you know, nine times out of ten these prayers these comments, you y o u is in the plural, second person plural. Mm-hmm. And we don't, it's not picked up in English translations. Right. But when you're reading in the Greek, you're like, whoa, I've always thought of that as a prayer for me, or I've always prayed that for me individually. But it was written for, for, for plurality, for right. the community, for each other. 
And so since we see this this necessary, essential role of community, then we begin to understand the importance of the church gathered. Yeah. It's it's um it's not just for practical reasons, while there there's lots of good practical reasons, but it's also for spiritual formation. There mm-hmm. there is something you know, let's go back to what God says in, in the garden. It's not good for man to be alone. Yes. Well, it's not not just about marriage. It's not just about one on you know a couple of friends. It's about the big picture. We need each other. Yeah. So then those are some thoughts that come to my mind that when we talk about the role of the church, and I think of Augustine, who said, or Augustine, however you want to say his name, no one can have the church as their father. No one can have God as their father without having the church as their mother. <laughs> Which yes, it's hard for Protestants to hear that. They're yeah. like, you know, the church isn't that important. I was just talking to somebody two or three days ago. We're having almost a little bit of an argument about how essential, you know, that's a strong word. Is the church essential? And, and, and they asked the question, this woman asked this question, can I be a Christian and not go to church? How do you like that question? Uh, I so I think that's an interesting question. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are asking it today. But here and here's the thing. So I remember being. Yeah, I I do think I want to go here. I remember being 15 and being like, you know, the classic question. Well, how far is too far? You know, how close can I? and, And when you ask questions about how close can I get to this thing that you know I've been told is wrong, it it, like it 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 gives you a window into the disposition of your heart. Like I, when we, when we talk about the church, obviously I totally, I mean, you're speaking my love language here, talking about community discipleship. Mm -hmm. That's why weekly gatherings are a part of our discipleship process. You know, the D of devote, it's not just to your personal devotions. We also want to be devoted to this community. Amen. And, uh, and that also shows up in groups. It shows up in digs. Like it's, it's throughout the process, but to flip it on its head, I, I just want to reframe the question. And for me, the person who has done that best is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. a German theologian during the time of world war two. Yeah, life together. He, he, yeah. He, he writes this book life together, but he's imprisoned, cut off from the body. Mm-hmm. And so he, understands the value having it taken from him. He understands the beauty of dwelling together with the people of God. And he said, you know, he, he writes in life together, the physical presence of unbelievers or uh, of other believers is, is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the Christian. I just like, I want to, I want to be so far on that end. And, and we're, we're still blessed to live in a country where we can gather together. Right. Dietrich wasn't right. I mean, because it just, I, I, uh, I long for us to recover that. Well, sometimes you don't appreciate things until they're taken away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, far be it from us to make church attendance, some sort of second law or some sort of mark of spiritual maturity, right? It's it's not, that's not what it's about, but Jesus, this was Jesus's idea. He was committed to this. He commissioned this, um, and Jesus it, it, loves the church. Yes. We love to talk about how Jesus loves me. Right. And, you know, Jesus was saved me. But, you know, Jesus loves you because you are, it's not just, it's not just you. You know, he loves right. the church. He yes. loves people and yeah. especially the church. And, and oftentimes, yeah. And, 
you know, I've, I've talked to people before who say, well, I, I don't feel like I need the church. I, I feel right. like I have a lot of spiritual nourishment in my personal relationship. And to those people, I'm like, yeah, that's wonderful. Sure. So bring that to the gathering. Like people need you. It's not just that you, you know, you need them. So man, I could, this is, yeah. we could talk about this for hours, but. Well, and, and also it's just, it's just, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, what I was going to say was, uh, <laughs> the microphone stuck in my face. Now I've lost my train of thought. The church, Jesus loves the church, uh, gathering together. What was I saying? Oh, well, I guess it can't be too important because I can't remember it. <laughs> oh, but, but let me answer that question that that person asked. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, you technically can be a Christian because Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not lose his faith in a prison cell. Right. Um, but that's not the way God designed it. And right. so, you know, so instead of us trying to do the minimum requirement, what, what do I, what's the least I, ha- I can have to, I have to do and still be a Christian, you mm-hmm. know? No, that, that's how, is that's how you want to live your Christian life? No, you want to f- enter into the fullness of it. You want to flourish in your faith. Yeah. In order to do that, we need each other. And oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. I think that that comment uh, that is so prevalent today that do I really need the church? Can I, can I be a Christian without going to church is more a reflection of the American value of individualism sure. than it is this, someone's actual walk with God. Mm-hmm. And, and I also, yeah. I mean, I, I can totally hear someone listening to this going, well, easy for you to say, like, that's where you work, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, and I do want to recognize, I think individualism is a massive part of it. And I think, what that individualism is latching onto a lot of times is failures of the church. And so I I don't want to sit here like on some, you know, saying, you know, talking about how important the church is without recognizing, you know, we are also trying to live into, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as leaders, as ministers, as servants of the church, live into what Jesus requires of us. So, you know, I'm not saying church is perfect. You should go there. Invites us into right. Uh, you know, I want to. I want to recognize that. You know, there are people. I think I would also add that. You know, because we work in church, Clay, and this sounds awkward to say to for some people, but we see the seamy side of church, sure. the ugly side of church, more than you do, probably. I mean, when people gossip, when people say horrible things, when when bad things happen, you know, that's I see that stuff all the time, mm. and and so. It's in some respects it's harder to love the church because I see you know, all the ugl- all the ugliness. But what I keep going back to is Jesus loves the church, yes, and He sees more than I do. Mm-hmm. And and when He's dying on the cross, He is thinking about the sins of humanity, and He's thinking about His church, and and yet He did it. You know, He went through yeah. with it. And so if if I love Jesus. And Jesus loves the church, then I should love the church. Yeah. It's the same thing we say about if people matter to God, then they ought to matter to me. Mm-hmm. And if so, if Jesus went out of his way to reach lost people, then I should go out of my way. I mean, this is what this is a heart and soul, what it means to be like Jesus. Yeah. I'm, I'm following what I see Jesus doing and want to live into that. Mm. So I know we have other things to talk about, but yeah, you know, we both but, can get excited about this. Yeah. And I would say my... <laughs> takeaway other than obviously, you know, participating in church gatherings is pray for the church. Oh. Um, pray for us to live Amen. into, pray for us to be the bride of Christ, pray for your church leaders. You know, we, we love you. We want to, we want to serve well. Yeah. Um, 
yeah man so good uh and, and this this last i know this so what's funny is this last piece that we're going to pick up could probably be an entire podcast oh easily uh but it's uh, you know yeah it could <laughs> one on each of the festivals right. seriously <laughs> so in in ancient israel where you know we observe part of god's plan for spiritual formation his plan plan for parenting is festivals mm -hmm. and uh and and these sorts of things uh and then jim bridging that to the modern context a modern parenting plan you talk about uh meals or special occasions mm -hmm. um so there i mean like i said there's tons to talk about here and i know you mentioned on sunday that you wanted to dive into this a little bit so <laughs> with the next you know 10 minutes or so uh <laughs> do you want to talk about yeah, the so festivals i'll talk, I'll talk really fast <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um yeah, so if you're not familiar with the festivals, um, Leviticus 23 is a chapter in, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that lists all seven of the festivals. Um, this might be a more meaningful conversation that we're about to have if you are more familiar with the festivals. You know, we tend to mark uh, our time in America with um you know like new year's day then to uh you know maybe lent but at least easter mm -hmm. good friday easter you know mother's day father's day <laughs> um you know thanksgiving maybe fourth of july you know th uh, labor day thanksgiving christmas you know our so, birthday you know yeah yeah, yeah our, <laughs> so we kind of mix a little bit of of um some of our heritage and some of you know hallmark hallmark days and we, we we actually mark our calendar and, and live our lives. Many people in America by the by that calendar. Yeah, some people's entire industry and jobs are dictated by <laughs> right. holiday schedules, for sure. And people plan their their family vacations around all that stuff, and you know all, all that stuff. So, in the the church historically, um, they began to create a church year calendar. Um, but before that, there was the Jewish calendar, and it mm -hmm. was built on these feasts and festivals that God commanded, that God himself instituted. So this is not a Jewish custom that, that arose out of their own ways of trying to relate to God. God literally commanded these things. And the funny thing is, as I said Sunday, when when you realize that a festival, an Old Testament festival, is actually a party, then you put together this phrase, God commanded partying, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing to think about. Which, yeah. And also, I think, surprises some people mm -hmm. because they don't know God. They don't, yeah. they don't fully yet get God. You know, God loves to party. Yes. <laughs> you know, think about Jesus. He got in trouble for partying. Right? Yeah. You know, it, oh, he's oh, a yeah. friend of, of tax collectors and gluttons and drunkards. You know, he mm -hmm. goes to these parties. You know, that's like, he can't be a good religious boy if he's going to parties. That, that, that's our Jesus. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, he, in, in that statement, he's contrasting himself with John the Baptist, who did yeah, none of that. And right. then Jesus is like, which, which do you want? <laughs> right. You know, you don't like him. You don't like me. There is a great book by a guy named Tony Campolo. Many people have maybe heard of him called The Kingdom of God is a Party. Wow. It's okay. a great read. I've never heard of this book. That uh, sounds awesome. He, he's, first of all, he's a great storyteller, and that book is loaded. He, uh, he actually, it's, I, I don't know which is better to read the book, The Kingdom of God as a Party, or to listen to Tony because he's, he's an Italian who is a phenomenal storyteller. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, I think it was a mentor of Shane Claiborne, by the way. He oh, really? It might have been, yeah. Huh. We mentioned him earlier. Anyway, so. Um, 
the festivals. So God commanded these seven festivals. Um, you know, the first one actually is a Sabbath, so it's a weekly festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it moves to uh, Passover, which was actually a, a, a night that then launched into the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So and as the Bible gets written, sometimes the Feast of Unleavened Bread is called the Feast of Passover. Uh, and sometimes it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Sometimes it's called both together, the Passover Feast, the Passover Unleavened Bread yeah, Feast. So, yeah. so it's, if you, it's the same festival. And when you read that, it's not two different ones. The Feast of Unleavened Bread starts with the Passover. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's an echo of the Exodus out of Egypt. And that's what all these festivals are. And they are ways of celebrating the things that God has done. And so I won't walk through all seven, but I will mention the three that, that I did Sunday because these are the three that God commanded to every male. And as I joked, if you want the family <laughs> there, get the guy. It's still yeah. true. Still true. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is to appear before me and what it literally says in, in the place where I will choose. Well, that's Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We now know that's Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, um, you, you must appear. This is a command. Appear before me. And I also left out the next verses that says, don't appear empty handed. So bring an <laughs> offering, you know, uh, bring your tithes, bring your, uh, above the tithes offerings, bring tithes from your, your, um, your, your harvests, bring tithes from your, your flocks, um, so there's, you know, bring all this stuff to the Lord cause you're celebrating. Yeah. But then the funny part for some people is that God says, bring your tithes. And then when it's food, he says, now eat your tithes, Yes. eat the, the stuff that you're giving to me. Because God says, when we're partying together about what I've done for you and when you're celebrating me, that's a party that I want you to see. Uh, let's eat together. That's, that's worship for me. And you're like, what? Yes. Partying is worship. Dude, it can is so be. Good. I mean, partying isn't worship, but it can be yeah. worship, which again is mind blowing for some people. Like, what? I, <laughs> I love, so I recently read through the Lord of the Rings for the first time, which will shock many people who know <laughs> right. <laughs> but cause you, you talk one, about it. Yeah, I know. But one, one thing I noticed is that the different races, it, and, and people groups in Lord of the Rings, I feel like, and I don't know this because I haven't read up on, I'm not a Tolkien scholar, but mm. I feel like the writer is giving aspects of the kingdom of God to these oh, different is. people groups. Absolutely and so with the, I, one thing I feel like the hobbits do well is this idea of feasting. And so it's like, <laughs> we don't think of God that way. We don't think of the kingdom that way, but there's rest mm-hmm. in the kingdom. Yes. There's play in the kingdom. That's there's right. celebration in That's the kingdom. Right. And, and we celebrate with music every week, but I just, I, uh, I long for more of this, you know, yeah. I long for more rest, for more celebration as a part of our discipleship. Yeah. I just think it's so awesome that God put that in there because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's healthy, right? He cares about us. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's a, you know, the, the reverse of that is probably fasting, which we'll talk about at some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But feasting is, is there too. <laughs> just take out the E. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, oh, there's so much to be said. Um, maybe, maybe I should say this. Um, one of the things that I, I just think is absolutely fascinating, uh, I think you're going to love this too, is um, so this three feasts that he commanded. Mm-hmm. So the first one is Passover. Think about what's the New Testament equivalent of the Passover. That's the death of Jesus Christ on the right. cross. So the Passover, we might say, is celebrating the second person of the Trinity. It's it's the it's Jesus. It's Jesus's 
you know, festival that celebrates, you know, it's all about the blood, you know, it's, it's, yeah. just, it's Jesus to the hilt, you know, mm-hmm. and then you go to the next pastor and then the next feast, 50 days, 50 weeks later, Pentecost. Well, yes. what's, who's that about? That's the Holy Spirit. Yep. So see, I've gotten two people from the Trinity, two persons of the Trinity. What do you mean? What's the next one? What's, what's the feast of tabernacles? Well, it's the time where we celebrate that God dwells amongst us mm-hmm. and there's this verse, I actually wrote this down. There's this verse in Revelation 21 that just gives me the chills Yeah, that says, and I heard of Revelation 21, three, we're the, last, the second to the last chapter of the whole Bible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. I got chills. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. <laughs> That's the culmination. And so in, God says to the people of Israel, I will walk among you. I will dwell among you. Let's have a whole feast to celebrate that I will dwell with you. And then this all looking forward to the incarnation where Jesus comes to dwell among us and is giving a taste of God dwelling with his people. And that's culminated in the last book of the Bible. And it's like that's a picture of the ultimate Feast of Tabernacles. So that's a picture of God the Father. So in these three feasts, we actually have a foretaste of the Trinity of all things. Isn't that beautiful? It is. There's there's so much color and depth in these festivals. That's just one thing that I got excited about. (laughs) You know me pretty well, Jim, because I I am excited. And I mean, this is... You're crying. <laughs> I am crying because there's something eschatological yeah. oh, about this, right? There's beautiful. something forward facing. There's mm-hmm. something, I mean, God, he, he has been planning this yeah. and, and yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's, we see it as we're reading through the old Testament. We see it in a new way in the life of Christ, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Mm-hmm. And we await it in an eternity future. That's right. <laughs> Let us, you know, we, I love the, the theme in Hebrews about entering into that rest. Yeah. Um, because that's, what's waiting for us Amen. on the far side of eternity. Amen. That's right. And, um, we get to experience foretastes now and God builds that in because he loves us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I long, yeah, I long for that day. And and you should. Um, And and maybe that, Clay, brings us a little bit into the heart of Simeon in our story Mm. this week, that he was looking forward to the consolation of Jerusalem, this forward-looking. And for them, you know, that obviously was mostly focused on Messiah, but for for the the Jews, Messiah and the kingdom of God were just one, not one and the same, but inextricably linked. And even though they thought of the kingdom of God as, you know, and the resurrection as um, something that was after this life, uh, they, they couldn't hardly imagine the kingdom of God being among us now. Mm. The kingdom of God is, you know, after death, you know, it's future, it's resurrection into the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus is phrased, the kingdom of God is among you is so yeah. startling. We, <laughs> we don't think of it as startling, but for a Jew, it's absolutely startling. Yeah. Wait a minute. We're, aren't, we, aren't we all alive right here? You know, how can the kingdom of God be a, among us? You know, mm-hmm. and did, we, did, did Messiah just fight a battle that we missed? You know, <laughs> well, well, the kingdom of God can't be here yet, you know. 
But Jesus, of course, is turning so many things up yeah. on their heads that people believed and and then filling out so many things that yeah. people only have shadow understandings of. And then he proceeds to win the battle. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and now we can live into mm-hmm. moments of that kingdom. Yes. Which should build even greater anticipation, shouldn't it? Yes. And, oh, man, I, yeah. I just, you know, I, I mean, eschatology... The the in my view, it's interesting. But the reason you study it is because it should impact how we live now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like I said earlier. I mean, it's so easy to get distracted, but living in light of eternity reminds us of the beauty and the necessity to center our lives around God now. Yeah. And so we can experience the foretaste of that kingdom mm-hmm. as we center our lives around God. And all that we've been talking about this podcast, in the last podcast, in the sermons the last couple of weeks, these are all ways of living into that, of trying to mm. trying to lean into the, the presence of God's kingdom here. <laughs> well, let's let's use this phrase: we're, we're we're tasting the already, but not 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 yet. Yes, you know, more and more of the already, but not yet. And so mm-hmm. it kind of creates this anticipation and builds as we taste more of the already, but still, but no, there's much, it's not yet fully there. It should build a, a greater and greater anticipation. Yeah, which, if I can say this, brings me because the thought the the fit, a person's face just just flashed across my screen. And it's, it's, a, it's a former pastor of this of our church, one mm. of our former pastors. His name was Bob Schroyer. Mm. And I was with Bob. Many people may remember him. He, he's kind of like, the, he's the Bob Wickens of his day. <laughs> and um, he's the only one in my father-in-law who got away with calling me Jimmy. And I was <laughs> with him uh, the days before he died. Mm. And he was reading a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. And I swear to you, Clay, going into his room, heaven was on his face. The glow, the anticipation as this godly man literally got closer to heaven. His last days, his face was just lit up. Mm. And I can, that's why his face just went across my screen in my brain. Just being, I walk out of his room and I'd be like, I just tasted a bit of heaven. I mean, and he's still, you know, he's wasting away. He's a body, but he was so close to seeing Jesus. And, you know, and I've experienced this with other people who have died, the the thin line, the thin veil between earth and heaven. And when you're with a godly person, when they're dying, sometimes it's like you can touch, you can feel heaven's right here. Mm. And I thought this man lived his life in the already, but not yet building the, not the anticipation, building it, building it, building it. Mm-hmm. And I was getting to see you know, minutes before he tasted the, you know, the fullness of the yeah. realized eschatology and, you know, God is there in all his glory. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, and I want to, I want to die a God centered death, mm. right? I want to, yes. I, I yes. want to. I mean, and I think that's great for, for our listeners to think what, what sort of a, yeah, I mean, just having a, that vision for your life. Yeah. If you want to be God, you know, I want to be God centered then. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to, I want to live in that anticipation yes. every step along the way, right. live in that God centeredness, live in that kingdom, um, live. I mean, and these are all synonymous live as yes, Jesus yes, disciple, yes. live as, uh, 
as a Christ-like person, right? These are all different ways of talking about it. And I mean, I, I, I could talk about this for hours. This is the stuff <laughs> that feeds me. Me too. Um, but we, we don't have hours right now. <laughs> People probably don't want to listen to us for hours either. <laughs> so, um, why don't we just close, uh, yeah. with, with a blessing? Um, God, may we be people who are drawing mm. near to you, mm-hmm. who, who are seeking after you, who, yes. who are centering our lives around you. God, we, we read the scriptures and we're so thankful that you're a God who speaks and reveals yourself for a God who's shown us mm. the last chapter as this story gives way to the story that you're writing into eternity. And God, we, we say, Lord, haste the day. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Maranatha. And Lord, give us the grace yes, to yes. live centered around you in the time between here and then. Mm-hmm. Draw us back to you. Draw us back to rhythms of prayer. Draw us back to rest, mm-hmm. to celebration, to feasting. Yes. God, we commit ourselves to you as we go through our day. And let us be people who are leading families, who are, who are training our children to do the same, Amen. who are, who are teaching this kind of healthy way of, of living as Jesus disciple to the next generation. Mm-hmm. God, so that your bride may increase Amen. so that we would be ready for you when you return. Amen. We pray these things in Jesus name. Yes. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the open door cutting room floor podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.